Hey y'all, what is happening? What is happening? It is your girl, Melba Pearson, Melba from Miami. Good to see all of you. Happy New Year. It is 2021. I know we were ready to say bye girl to 2020 because ooh, that was one heck of a year. Definitely a mixed bag. You know, some positive things did happen. Number one, the election, <laughs> right? That's huge, you know? I think we learn new ways to adapt, but for so many, it's it was a tough 365 days. So definitely stepping into 2021, ready for new challenges, ready for good things to happen, ready for that uh, COVID vaccine, <laughs> ready to be able to kind of get things back to a new normal, right? May not be exactly the same as what we had before, but you know, something new and beautiful can emerge from the ashes, we hope, I pray. Anyway, so we have an action-packed episode for the first Mondays with Melba uh, for 2021. So let's dive right in because there's a lot happening. I got a whole lot of notes here <laughs> to share with you. Um, so over the holidays, uh, first of all, I hope everybody had a great holiday. Again, know it was a little different. Um, we ended up going over to Idaho to see family. So that was definitely cold, but lovely. Um, definitely a different approach to COVID over there. So first thing we did when we got back was take a test. Even though we wore our masks and stuff, you know, folks definitely were not as concerned as the rest of us, even though their numbers are increasing. Separate issue. But anyway, um, over the holidays, a number of updates happened around some of the cases that we have all been following nationally, uh, talking about Breonna Taylor, Tamir Rice, Rebecca Jones, and then a bombshell report came out towards the end of 2020 regarding uh, the abuse of women in Lowell. Now I'm going to talk about the police shooting cases first, as well as Rebecca Jones, then I will get into Lowell. Again, I'm going to give a trigger warning. If you are someone that is squeamish around the topic of sexual assault, uh, or if you are a survivor of sexual assault, I'm just giving you a warning that I'm not gonna go super graphic, but I am going to talk about some of the details of what is going on at Lowell, just so people can have that information, be empowered, and I'm gonna give a call to action towards the end of what folks can do in order to, again, raise awareness and hopefully find justice for the women who were victimized. So trigger warning on that. Um, you know, prepare yourself and do whatever you need to do. And if it means that this may not be the episode for you, totally cool. Um, hopefully folks can kind of share that information so that you don't have to be triggered about what you went through. All right, starting with Brianna Taylor. As we all know, this was the case in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, where she was sleeping in her bed uh, next to her boyfriend. Police made entry with a no-knock warrant. They broke down the door. He fired his legal weapon at the police, not knowing that they were police because they did not announce themselves as police officers. And of course, 1230 at night, someone kicks down your door. You're not exactly assuming it's police, right? So... No criminal charges were filed in that case. The uh, state attorney general uh, held a grand jury and convened a grand jury, excuse me, uh, did not give them all of the information and did not give them a wide variety of charges to pick from. So as a result, uh, no charges were filed. 
However, huge update, two more officers were given uh, basically their walking papers. They have not officially been fired, but the first step in firing them has occurred. They were given what is called a pre-termination letter saying, basically, we about to fire you, we're starting the process, and get yourself ready and get yourself packed, right? Now, the officers who received that letter, one was Detective Joshua James. Now, he was the one responsible for drafting the no-knock warrant, right? So basically, he's the one that swore out the warrant, said that everything here is true and correct, brought it to a judge, and got the permission from the judge to be able to execute this warrant. Here's the problem. He lied in the warrant. He said that he had spoken to the Postmaster General who had confirmed that Brianna Taylor was receiving packages from her ex-boyfriend. Now, as I may have mentioned in earlier episodes, she had an ex-boyfriend that was getting into trouble with the law. He was a drug dealer, right? Now, we don't know the length of the relationship or any of the details, but we know that it was long over, right? They're broken up. She's with this new guy, the one that was with her that night. That man was intending to propose to her. So they had been together for some time. Now, her connection to her ex-boyfriend, the only thing that has been revealed with regards to that is that she had bailed him out of jail on one occasion. He had been arrested subsequent to that for his activities. The police were putting pressure on him to say that Brianna was part of his drug operation. He repeatedly said, she is not, this is me alone. She doesn't know the full extent of my operation. She is not a part of this. Now there's some question as to whether or not more pressure was placed on him, especially in the wake of the shooting to kind of make it justified, right? But at the end of the day, the boyfriend has always been very, ex-boyfriend, excuse me, the ex-boyfriend has been very consistent in saying she is not a part of my operation. Also keeping in mind, she was employed as an EMT. So she had a, she had a job, like she, you know, she had her own life, right? She just had a boyfriend who made poor life choices and she ended that relationship, right? So the officer, the detective, Detective Janes, basically said, oh yeah, she's getting packages from her ex-boyfriend, therefore she's involved in this drug ring. So yeah, we have a reason to go in and search her house because we think we can find drugs or something like that there. That is not the truth. That is not what happened. He did not speak to the, the postmaster general of the state. What he ended up doing was basically playing a game of telephone where he talked to an officer who talked to another officer who talked to another officer who thought that maybe she was getting packages. So when you swear out a warrant, at the, you know, literally you are swearing, you are swearing under the penalty of perjury that what you are putting in this warrant is true, accurate, and correct. He did not do so. So that is, and this botched warrant and the fact that it was a no-knock warrant which again, in the warrant, they have to specify, this is a high risk situation. And if we were to announce ourselves as police officers, our lives would be in danger. Now, based on what we're learning, there were no grounds for that because she's not, she's not, you know, someone involved in the drug trade. She has no history of violence. She has no criminal history. And again, she was not a part of a drug operation. So his lying in that warrant is the reason why he is being terminated from the police force. Now, the second officer who has is, is got a pre-termination letter was Detective Miles Cosgrove. 
Now you may remember that name because he was the one that fired the fatal shot that killed Breonna Taylor. So both of them about to get their walking papers, you know, we're going to have to keep an eye on what happens with the police union because, you know, oftentimes of some sort of arbitration, things kind of go back and forth. But the interim chief has made it very clear that these two officers, these two detectives are no longer welcome in the department and that her intention is to fire them. Um, now, the other issue we have to think about, there's still the ability for them to go work at a different police department unless their license, their license to be police officers has been revoked. So that's another aspect that, again, we're going to have to keep an eye on. Now, the next case I need to give an update for you on is that of Tamir Rice. Now, Tamir Rice was a 12-year-old boy who was playing in a parking lot in Ohio uh, back in 2014. He was playing with a toy gun, right, as children often do. Now, somehow, somebody called the police saying there's a kid running around a park with a gun, but the gun may be fake, but we just wanted to let you know. The dispatcher never communicated that information to the officers and the officers went out and literally within one second of arriving, Officer Lohman opened fire and killed Tamir Rice. Okay, well, no criminal charges were filed. And now the feds, the Department of Justice has indicated they are not filing charges either. The reason that they gave, number one, is that the video that they were able to obtain, there was no body cam video, and the video that they were able to obtain was very grainy and didn't really show the incident. It was too far away, it was too grainy, and it was hard to see anything. The second aspect is that they would have to prove two things at trial. First of all, they'd have to prove that Tamir Rice was not reaching for a gun. And secondly, that the officer did not perceive that Tamir Rice was reaching for a gun. In other words, he did, could not perceive or see that he was a threat. With that being said, you kind of stuck like Chuck on that one. Very frustrating. Um, because again, at the end of the day, you do need evidence to be able to prove a case, right? You can't just stand up in court and be like, this officer sucks, find him guilty, right? You need more than that. However, again, they spoke to witnesses on the scene, you know, but again, what happened? Why didn't the dispatcher communicate that information? Has that dispatcher been fired, right? Like what other things can be done to make sure that, you know, somebody is held accountable for the death of this 12 year old child, right? Now, Officer Lohman was fired from the department for something totally different. Apparently, he, had a, he lied about his, his work history. There was some drama there. So he was fired, but not for killing Tamir Rice. So now, unfortunately, that brings the Tamir Rice saga to an end, and a horrible end, because no one is ever going to be held accountable. With the feds not doing anything, the state prosecutor didn't do anything, and you know, the only thing that could happen is maybe a, a civil suit and, and, you know, get some relief that way. But again, there will be no criminal charges in any way, shape or form in the Tamir Rice case. So sad, but had to share that with everyone.
And the last case update I need to give before we get into the Lowell situation is that of Rebecca Jones. So if you remember, just before I went on holiday hiatus, I talked about the case of Rebecca Jones. She was the one who is a data scientist and she was maintaining the COVID-19 dashboard for the state of Florida. She was fired because she would not falsify the numbers. She wanted to give the accurate information of how many people were infected with the virus on a day-to-day -day basis. And basically, Governor DeSantis doesn't want that because he's all about herd immunity and not about the facts, right? So she was fired. She then created her own dashboard that she maintained on her own that gave that information and gave much more expansive information with regards to this COVID situation. FDLE, Florida Department of Law Enforcement, the statewide law enforcement bureau, right, uh, basically came in, raided her house, and took all, like, her computers, all of this stuff, right? She's like, listen, this was an attempt to silence a whistleblower, right? I'm, I blew the whistle on impropriety that was happening, the fact that the government is not being honest with its residents, and now I'm, you know, my house is getting raided, and I didn't do anything wrong. Uh, the, the excuse that was given was that she allegedly hacked into a system that that was, you know, a government, a Florida state government system that and sent a message saying, you know, tell the truth now before it's too late and, and more people die. Right. At the end of the day, the access to that particular system is publicly available. So in other words, if you did some digging on the website, you could find the community password that everybody had to get into that system and there was no real direct proof linking her to being the one that hacked into the system right if it even was a hack so here we are she now has filed a lawsuit which i knew that was coming right quick she filed a lawsuit uh, against fdle saying that number one this was an abuse of her first amendment rights of freedom of speech because you do have the right to be able to you know publish whatever you want it's as long as you're not you know lying about a particular person or anything like that and unlawful search and seizure because they came in and took a whole bunch of her stuff right she also um filed one of the the charges is that of battery saying that an officer put his hands on her in an unreasonable manner what's going to be very interesting about this lawsuit i am waiting to see the governor get deposed i think that the governor is going to be deposed in this case because much of this hinges on who had the authority to to you know make this raid happen what was the motivation what evidence was relied upon in getting this warrant because again they went to this newbie judge who had been on the bench for like a month was a desantis appointee and all of a sudden he's signing off on this raid and he's a judge in civil court so there were a lot of questions as to procedurally how we got to this point and how the FDLE had the ability and had the legal authority to make this raid. So she has been alleging that the governor is the one that was behind the scenes pulling the strings. And so the question is going to be who knew what and when. So I have a feeling the governor is going to be subpoenaed in this one. Is he actually going to give testimony is a different question, but I'm very, I'm keeping a very close eye on this one because it's going to get really messy and it's going to get really ugly. And, you know, with 2022 right around the corner, this can be, can be something that can play into his reelection chances. So another thing to keep an eye on, stay woke. 
All right, so trigger warning again. I'm now going to get into the Lowell prison scandal case. Now, Lowell is a prison that is located in Ocala, which is in central Florida. Ocala is maybe about an hour or so away from Orlando. Now, it is a women-only prison. So that's where, you know, once a person is convicted of a crime in the state of Florida and you're female and your sentence is longer than 366 days, right? It's a weird thing. 366 days, then that is a prison sentence. And that in all likelihood is where you're going to be sent, right? It's only one of very few women only prisons in the state of Florida. There has been an ongoing issue with sexual assault in that prison. This is something that has been going on for decades. I became aware of it when I was working at the ACLU of Florida. Uh, we had been doing some preliminary investigations to see if we can put together a lawsuit or some kind of case against uh, the prison. And unfortunately, we have a situation where the women were not willing to come forward and testify because they were afraid. So let me set up the scene for you of what this really means, right? When you are in prison, your entire life and safety depends on the prison guards. So if you're getting attacked, if the prison guards decide to turn their head and look the other way, you're on your own. If you want to, you need medical attention. It's the prison guards who are the ones who get you from your cell to the infirmary, right? If you need, you know, tampons and, and, and sanitary items, if you need soap, if you need toilet paper, anything you need for basic living goes basically through the prison guards, right? So pissing off the prison guards is never really a good idea because of the fact that so much of your life and safety lay in their hands. So what's been happening at Lowell, and this has been documented since 2006, guards have been abusing their power. They would literally come in in the middle of the night and just start raping the, and you know, sexually assaulting the, the female inmates. They will, you know, grab a woman, take her outside and force her to perform oral sex. They will say, if you want more toilet paper, if you want the sanitary napkins that you are entitled to on a monthly basis, granted not enough, whole other issue, but there's an allotment that every female uh, person in custody gets you know, for that purpose. If you wanna get what you're entitled to, you need to have sex with me or you need to perform oral sex on me. There are women who have been, you know, abused from in, in every possible disgusting way, shape or form, whether they've been sodomized, whether objects have been used on them, anything. That's what they have been doing, right? So it's just, it's, it's mind blowing how just, just the amount of abuse and degradation these women have suffered. There's been documentation since 2006 showing write-ups of various supervisors and officers for abusing these women and nothing has happened, right? Nothing, it's like, okay, you've been written up and that's it. Like nobody's gotten fired as a result or anything like that. So the reason why this is coming to the forefront now is that the Department of Justice has been doing an ongoing investigation since 2018 and they released a scathing, scathing 34 page report to the point that they were like, you have 49 days, you know, Department of Corrections, you know, Secretary Inch, who is Department of Corrections, you have 49 days 
to do something to protect these women or there's going to be consequences. The downside is that they have not filed criminal charges. And again, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. The women are not coming forward to really testify because they're like, dude, if you complain and, and women have come forward and complained and filed reports and done, you know, the process that's in the prison when you know an officer abuses you if there's a problem you know there's a complaint process where you fill out the pa paperwork and all of that they've been retaliated against and what happens they get placed in solitary confinement they are denied a visitation from family friends and loved ones which you know for people that are incarcerated that's that's like the only joy you really look forward to is seeing your loved ones coming to visit you. So when those visits are cut off, that is your lifeline to the outside world. So they get denied these visits, right? And you know they're and then they get abused again and get abused worse because now you've quote unquote snitched, right? You've told on these officers who again hold the ultimate power in the prison, so they get abused some more. So as a result of that, it's very hard to be able to press criminal charges because again, you need evidence, right? But when these attacks happen, they don't happen in, you know, in view of, let's say the surveillance cameras, right? Because there are cameras in the prison, but there's blind spots and the officers know where the blind spots are, right? Or they just turn off the cameras and do what they're going to do, right? And if, again, if they're taken outside, they're taken outside of the area of the camera. Now, some of the women uh, were, were savvy enough to save the clothing where they were sexually assaulted. So DNA was able to be extracted from that. But again, you need the woman's testimony to say this was not a consensual encounter. I was I was assaulted. Right. So you need that person to give the context to the evidence. So they used so the, the Department of Justice used that clothing to be able to say, OK, you know, clearly assault happened. Uh, the women did speak to the the investigators from the Department of Justice detailing in very graphic detail what happened to them. So again, that was part of the evidence they used to put together the report. But again, that's not enough to file charges. So, uh, you know, what's next? What can be done, right? So again, this has been going on since 2006. It is. It was so rampant that it's commonly discussed amongst all the women in custody and it and all the guards knew about it. So it's not like it's the secret or it happened once or it was a one-off or whatever. No, this is a rampant pattern of abuse. That's just how they do things. The guards up there think that the women are their property and that they can do whatever they want and there's been no consequences. So they've been given the message that, oh yeah, it's okay. Keep doing what you're doing. It's fine, right? So with this 49 days now, which might be down to at this point, probably like 35 days, you know, the Department of Corrections has to take some sort of action. What action they're going to take? I'm not quite sure. Um, there is what's called the Prison Rape Elimination Act, which was signed into law in 2012. That is a federal act that is designed to prevent, to protect people in, in prison, male, female, no matter, or, you know, transgender, however you identify, but protect people in prison from being sexually assaulted. There's federal funding to help address these type of issues. However, the prison relief, you know, that, that, that act, you know, the Prison Rape Elimination Act did absolutely nothing in the case of Lowell, absolutely nothing. 
So, you know, basically what needs to happen next, I'm, this is where I'm going to give my opinion. I think number one, everybody needs to be fired. Everybody. From the warden down to the dude sweeping the floors. Everybody. Clean house. Clean house from top to bottom. Okay? Because this is a rampant pattern of abuse. Either you did it or you knew it was going on and you turned a blind eye. If you are an officer in that situation, you are duty bound. When you see something like that happening, you see someone abusing their powers and abusing an inmate, they need to report it. You can't just be like, oh, I didn't see anything, right? That, that's, that, that's not how this goes, right? You have a duty to, to protect the, you know, the people that are in your care. And they completely failed at that, completely. So everybody needs to be fired, every single one, right? Start with that. Secondly, what needs to happen is criminal charges need to be filed against these officers. However, we can't do, you know, the issue being the women being afraid to come forward. If you, tr if you say, okay, we'll protect you if you testify. A lot of times, if you are someone who's in custody and you're testifying in a case, whether you know, you're a witness in something that happened in a prison or you're testifying about something that happened on the outside, but you happen to be in custody, it's possible for you to be relocated to another prison, right? But here's the thing, you're testifying against prison guards. I don't think there's gonna be any or ex-prison guards, you know, assuming all of them get fired. I don't think that there's gonna be any safe prison for you in the state of Florida. Right. Because, you know, retaliation is real and these folks talk. Right. These folks talk. So I think what needs to happen is that the women who have been abused and the women that come forward to testify need to have their sentences commuted and they need to be released and then placed into, into witness protection on the outside. Because, again, prison, you know, the, the, that prison life like that, that grapevine, they talk. And if you put them even in a federal prison, you can't necessarily assure their safety because clearly you couldn't assure their safety right under your nose you know here at lowell prison right you, you couldn't do it it's been clear that the state of florida has fallen down on the job with regards to protecting these women so the only way to right this wrong is to release them you know whether it be you know parole conditional release you know you can work out the details how later but we have to get them out so that they can testify and still be safe because that's the only way that we're going to be able to hold these people accountable, right? Like this is just unacceptable. And, and when you think from a greater legal perspective, the Eighth Amendment prevents and prohibits cruel and unusual punishment, right? The fact that you did whatever you did on the outside that landed you in prison, it is what it is. But you should be able to serve your prison sentence in peace. Right. You should just, you know, have to get up every day, eat, do what you got to do, serve your sentence and then, you know, be rehabilitated, which is a whole other discussion because we're not about that these days. It seems to be more about retribution and punishment rather than making sure people have the what they need to be able to live a productive life when they get out. But, you know, the Eighth Amendment is very much in play here. And th there needs to be something, needs to be something, something has to be done. So again, my recommendations on that, fire the warden, fire every single officer in there and then commute the women's sentences so that they can testify and criminal charges can be filed against the officers that have abused these women in this disgusting way. 
um, I have been looking to see if there's any petitions circulating or if any of the grassroots groups are doing advocacy around this. I've heard nothing yet, but stay tuned on that because if I don't hear anything, I'm going to start a petition because I mean, it's just, this is ridiculous. I mean, this is ridiculous and, it, and it's disgusting and cruel and unusual. Um, also, shout out to my friend Al Lures, uh, who is retired law enforcement. He did make a very good point, and I'm going to correct myself on this. Consent cannot be given to prison guards. So because of the, the power dynamic, um, because of the fact that you are in custody and you don't, again, have control over your life, or your well-being, um, you cannot actually give consent. So I'm going to correct my earlier comment about the DNA being on the clothing. Um, but regardless, you still would need the woman to come forward and say, this is actually what happened and this is how the DNA got there, right? Just to be able to eliminate any kind of weird defense that uh, the, off, the, the prison guard may come up with. But thank you very much for that, Al. Um, all right, so those are my thoughts on that. Um, I see Broadway. Hey, Broadway. Uh, Linda, always good to see you. Uh, Robin, I, I hope nobody finds this funny because there's nothing amusing about this. This is absolutely just disgusting and horrific. Um, and I see my girl, Judge Stacey Glick. Hey, good to see you. Um, and thank you all of you for tuning in. Um, we have an action-packed year ahead here at Mondays with Melba. Um, we're going to be covering, uh, a lot of you have sent me comments and, and messages as to other topics you want to see covered. Um, coming up, we're going to talk about death penalty. We're going to talk about, um, you know, the, the, the crazy spike in murders that's happening here in Miami-Dade County and what can be done about that. Um, and just continuing to watch some of these cases unfold and give you legal analysis as to what's happening, why it's happening, and things that we can do to raise our voices and to really advocate for folks who are being marginalized and pushed to the side. Also, legislative session starts in March. I'm going to do a breakdown of some of the horrible bills that are being filed uh, this session, a couple of them having to do with expanded surveillance, of course, the quote-unquote anti-mob, anti-protest bill, um, keeping a close eye on that. I'm hearing that that may go through some changes because apparently even the cops are like, this, is, this, this can't work, right? Like so many different groups are like, dude, you're barking up the wrong tree. This is not working. So we may see a different version of it coming soon. So of course I will read it so you don't have to and give you analysis and ways to follow up. So with that, stay safe, stay healthy. Happy New Year. Wishing you all a healthy and prosperous new year. Uh, be kind to yourself. Be kind to others. Because again, we're, we're in a really rough time. So you never know what someone else is dealing with. So definitely be kind to others. Stay socially distant, but not emotionally distant. All right. Take good care. Bye.